Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Welcome, listeners, to this week's episode of FF Plus. I'm Aaron, and here with me tonight, joining me for several movie reviews and a little bit of trailer talk, is Coles Davis. Hey, how y'all doing tonight? Now, tonight, Patrick is not going to be joining us. He had another engagement, but Coles and I are excited to go through a, a pretty big slate of films. We've got three on the docket to talk through tonight, and then also an episode of TV that we both found to be pretty moving and powerful, and we wanted to be sure and have a little bit of a conversation about. And then we're also going to do a little bit of a trailer talk about a certain film that released its first teaser trailer late last week that you may have heard about. And we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to get going and kick things off uh, with Coles first. So Coles saw The Curse of La Llorona. And the plot of this film is ignoring the eerie warning of a troubled mother suspected of child endangerment. A social worker and her own small kids are soon drawn into a frightening supernatural realm. Now I'll tell you, Coles, all I knew about this is that it's one of those James Wan produced horror films that kind of has his name attached, but he's not the director. How did this one go? Well, to start off, that's the only reason that I was even interested in seeing this was because James Wan's name was behind it. They made it a clear effort to show you that it was um, from the producers of The Conjuring Universe. But throughout the film, they have these little segues and like little Easter eggs that really bring you back to the Annabelle and The Conjuring films, which I thought was a little nice touch if you're a fan of those. For me, honestly, I've never been a fan of The Conjuring films. I'm sorry to everybody out there who loves them has a great following for us. It always has great reviews. For me, horror films of that magnitude don't really excite me. There's hundreds of films each year that talk about a haunting or talk about a possessed doll or a supernatural entity that comes back to haunt people in the modern day. We see those a lot. So I consider this just another um, assembly line factory produced film from that same ilk. But I did want to like it. So I came in with a fresh mindset. I wasn't going to use my past stereotypes of the Conjuring films to cloud up my judgment. But this film was not good. I'm sorry to say it's not good. <laughs> In the beginning, they kind of show the beginnings of the folklore, the myth of the legend of the weeping woman. It's based on the Mexican legend of this woman. She marries this guy. They ended up having two kids. And then this guy cheats on her with a younger woman. So this woman becomes so vindictive that she actually drowns her children in the water. And then she realizes what she's done. Not that she was realizing why she was doing it, but she then she realizes what she does and then she kills herself. So then she spends her time going through and trying to take any child she can. And if you hear her crying or weeping, then you know that you're in danger. Outside of a few nice tracking shots and Raymond Cruz as the priest who comes to help the family, he was an awesome comic relief. He only shows his presence during the last 30 minutes, but I loved him um, in the film. He was the best part of the film to me. He would have these great little one-liners that would kind of break up the tension and the drama and scariness of certain set pieces, which was a nice relief. The audience really loved him, and he carried a great presence. But outside of that, this film was very formulaic. The jump scares, honestly, are very easy to predict. Like, honestly, I could have went to Vegas, and I could have, like, 
put down like, hey, I know when this scare is going to come right here and there. And I would have won a lot of money. You don't need to be a fortune teller to know when these scenes come up. They don't have any kind of suspense buildup. You can tell like, oh, she's going to pop out of the mirror. Like, oh, she's going to pop right right out of the darkness. Like, oh, she's going to levitate here. Like, they're very easy to see coming. So most of the time, there's only a few people in my audience that even screamed at the scary scenes. Most people just sat silent in their, in their seat. There was no urgency at all. Other than that... The score was very uninspired. The score felt like something out of um, an 80s video game, like just how simple and easy it felt like it was to produce. The character decision-making was very childish and dumb. I noticed there were some scenes, there was one scene, this is not a spoiler, but there's one scene where literally Raymond Cruz's character comes up to the little girl that's part of the family. He tells her like, hey, I'm going to put down these seeds right here to keep the to keep the demon out of the house. This seed cannot, this level cannot be broken. If it does, then the demon's going to get let back into the house. So what does the girl do? She decides, she sees her doll laying right outside the front porch. So she chooses to open the door disregard everything the priest said and try to get her doll it it's this kind of the care decision making is like were the screenwriters using this moment to try to propel the story forward instead of using a natural organic situation to try and do that it felt like lazy screenwriting this story doesn't really go into depth much it kind of just gives you a surface level attention towards the weeping woman the acting is okay the lead lady she plays the wife of um, Viggo morris's character in green book She's all right. Nothing standout-ish. Everybody else is just okay. Don't expect to, to see any Oscar-winning performances in this. The CGI is hit or miss. Some scenes it looks good. Other times it looks like it was made, like the uh, Weeping One was made out of Play-Doh. <laughs> and as far as the um, dialogue, most of the dialogue is just straight exposition. This film doesn't try to to let the audience try to figure out what's going on. It immediately like, tells you immediately. Like, there's no clues. There's no there's no structure to how the story is going to operate. It just tells you immediately, like, hey, this this woman does this, and this is why she does it, and this is why your children are in danger. I'm sorry. It's just like, anytime I see a film that doesn't trust the audience to really come to conclusions, it really takes me out of the experience. Also, I had a kind of a quip with the lighting in certain scenes especially at nighttime like most of the time you can hardly see what's going on in the dark since most of this film does take place in the dark most characters are shadowed in the dark you can hardly see their faces and like you see the weeping woman coming out of nowhere and she just like shrouded in darkness so i was wondering is that part of what the film was trying to get at or is it because the lighting is superb uh it was very confusing hmm. overall a film like this this is just like many of the other generic horror films that come out every year you know the films that We'll probably get some business because especially it's going to get some business because of the Conjuring name brand staple onto it. But other than that, this is a film that when you leave the theater, you're going to forget about it. Oh, well. Well, I mean, you know what? They can't all be a win, and that's okay. That's why we try to go see them and hopefully put the word out that maybe this is not up to par with some of the other films in the Conjuring universe. Of course, you don't even like those. So if you not <laughs> like this one, then... I don't know, maybe it would be a little better for people who like the Conjuring films, but I, I know what you're saying. You know, I, I'm not big on just jump scares either. And other people that I know were at that screening as well have also been very, very negative on this one and just said that it was not up to put basically echoed everything you said. Sounds like unfortunately the Curse of La Llorona is not a hit. I, you know, I would wish that James Wan would just go back to directing these. And it, it's a mm -hmm. it's a big problem. 
honestly, because see, I actually love the conjuring and I love the conjuring too, maybe even more. And I really like the newest Annabelle film, but the, when James Wan is not directing these, there is a significant drop in the way the story is told. It's just, there's just something that he is able to see and do that these first time directors he's trying to kind of give a chance are not, they don't have the experience to do. Yes. Um, honestly, I went and checked the, the past work of the director on this and he hasn't done anything noteworthy. Um, he's done a short film. He did a, um, a music video for a big pop star. I'm not even going to pronounce her name, but, and then this, they gave him this film and I was wondering what was, what was the choice? Why would you give it to him? What, what had he shown? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think James Wan is just trying to prop up filmmakers, which is great in a way, but it's not always working. And mm-hmm. when you throw your name on it, it, it tries to, it's almost like a cheat because like you said, you put the name conjuring universe on this film's poster. You say it's produced by James Wan mm-hmm. when he had so little to do with the actual film that is on the screen that you're actually seeing. And so it, you know, you go see it because of that and it's really not him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just it feels kind of dirty, like it's like a marketing trick in a lot of ways. And I know that's not what their intention is. Well, probably is partially their <laughs> to be honest, because they want to make. But regardless, that's too bad. I, I, I had high hopes for this. I thought, you know, maybe it would be good. But I, I'm kind of over the haunting thing, too, at this point. I'm ready for fresher, unique horror stories. I don't prefer the cultic stuff. Even Midsommar that's coming out later this summer, at least it has a completely gorgeous kind of unique aesthetic to it mm-hmm. because it is another culty type film but i'm just kind of wanting something new and different what i will say is that even though i did have a very strong dislike for this film it's not terrible um i mean there are parts of it that are cool to see you know there are some cool tracking shots like i did like the way that some of the scenes were filmed and raymond cruz is really good you know so it's not the worst horror film but it's just another one of those films that is very generic and it's forgettable. And I don't see how anyone would go back to rewatch this over and over again. Well, if they want to go watch it for the first time, they can do so. It's in theaters April 19th. Check it out if you are so inclined and you want to kind of go against the advice of Coles, I guess, at this <laughs> point. All right. Well, another film from a director who had previously not had a lot of work. Uh, is a movie coming up called Little Woods. Now, the director of this film, her name is Nia DaCosta. She's an African-American uh, female director, which is really cool. This is her feature film debut again. Uh, she's done a couple of smaller short films. Um, she's actually going to be directing the Candyman remake, I found out. So I found out after I watched this movie. Uh, it's nothing. Candyman remake will be nothing like this movie, um, which is kind of an interesting choice. So Nia's story it's essentially a modern western about two sisters who work outside the law to better their lives my thoughts when i was watching this right away was it's like a quiet mixture between winter's bone hell or high water and leave no trace it has that same somber dramatic vibe throughout it there are not action pieces that are happening um, the conflict is definitely within the character relations and kind of the 
what's going to happen to them in the long run in their life situation, not are they going to die at every turn. Essentially what is going on here is one of the main characters played by Tessa Thompson uh, is she is on parole. She's very close to being free. It's that typical trope. And so it's, it's nothing new. She's been a drug dealer in the past. Um, and she is drawn back into this situation that puts her freedom at risk. Basically, it's a story of a good person doing a bad thing for good reasons. Um, she is illegally smuggling Oxycontin across the American Canadian border. And ultimately she has to go back to doing that to help raise money for her adoptive sister's abortion. Her adoptive sister is played by Lily James, and she is dealing with, you know, a somewhat abusive, I don't know if she's her husband, but the man in her life. And it's the story boils down to these two women living in this quiet kind of mining town where they do not have enough money to afford appropriate health care, and they can't seem to get on their feet. You know, they're going to lose the house. They can't get a good, good job because they have one of them has a, a criminal background. It's one of those films that just shows you what it's like in a small town when you've made mistakes and you're trying to break out of that. You want to be a better person. You want to start a new life. But it's like everything is holding you down and holding you in that same position. And so your only option is to resort to this small type of crime which you would think is seemingly innocent. I actually really enjoy the fact that the film centers around Oxycontin and not some other kind of drug because what Tessa's character is doing in many ways is almost like a service to the community. We have veterans and old workers who can't get healthcare either. And so they're in pain. They have broken down bodies and they're looking for something to help relieve that. And so she's providing oxy for that reason. It's not just a bunch of drug addicts, you know what I mean? And so it's this weird kind of parallel between her and her friend not being able to get healthcare and her essentially sort of providing a part of healthcare herself, but it's illegal. There's great performances throughout the film. Both her and Lily James are amazing in this. I think it's really just it hinges on that because there's so many quiet moments and it's just a lot of them dealing with various emotions. I don't know if you ever watched the show fringe or not, but uh, the, the there's a main actor in the film or the series called broils and a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. He's in this, he plays a mentor and parole officer uh, to Tessa Thompson. And we get to see, you know, a character who she doesn't want to have to let down, but of course, it goes into that trope of he's going to show confidence in her and help try to get her a new job. But, you know, she's actually doing something behind the scenes that she's not telling him about. And so we're always kind of worried about, is she going to get found out? And if she is, how's it going to affect her? And are they going to be able to take care of the abortion for her adoptive sister or not? You know, what's going to happen when they cross the border into Canada? It's a relatively short movie. It does move so slowly, I think, and then it has such a drama to it that it ends up feeling much longer. Overall, though, it's very patient. It's very empathetic. Um, it has a really good soundtrack with a mix of different musical styles. 
And I, I really liked it. I, I was, while I was watching it, I was kind of thinking to myself, man, I would like a little bit more intensity to this film, a little bit more action maybe. But when it ended, I found myself in a very thoughtful place. Um, really considering what these characters went through. It reminded me of growing up in Arkansas in some of the smaller towns I lived in when I was really young, places that are a little bit off the map. Um, this is, I believe, set in uh, a Pacific Northwest town, um, but it was filmed in North Dakota and based off of a, a city in North Dakota where women outnumbered men two to one, and it was it had the um, hardest, it was the hardest area in the country to find a place to get an abortion because of the lack of health care. Uh, and so that's where she kind of centered the idea for this story around. And it really does. It echoes just small town America and the struggles that people actually have. So a pretty good film, pretty good little indie movie, uh, a good start, I think, for Nia DaCosta as a director. She shows a lot of promise. Again, I, I don't know how this is going to translate into something like a horror film remake, Candyman. I really just don't know where in the world her style, if she has a style, she doesn't really, I mean, one film, I guess you can't really designate a style yet. I don't know how it's going to work out. I guess we'll find out. But yeah, check it out. If you're interested in what I had to say, Little Woods, it'll be in theaters April 19th as well. Third film we're going to talk about is a new anime, and this is called Oko's Inn. And the plot is this. After losing her parents in a car accident, Oko goes to live in the countryside with her grandmother, who runs a traditional Japanese inn built on top of an ancient spring said to have healing waters. While she goes about her chores and prepares to become the inn's next caretaker, Oko discovers there are spirits who live there that only she can see. Not scary ones, but welcoming ghosts who keep her company, play games, and help her navigate her new environment. The inn's motto is that it welcomes all and will reject none. And this is soon put to the test as a string of new guests challenge Oko's ability to be a gracious host. But ultimately, Oko discovers that dedicating herself to others becomes the key to taking care of herself. All right, Coles, I'm going to ask you, what is your history with anime before I find out what you thought about this one? My history with anime is, um, you can say, almost akin to a five-year-old um, baby as far as the amount of um, anime I've seen. The one that I was deeply into for a time was Death Note. And Netflix made a film about it and kind of ruined the whole legacy of that show for me. Um, Full Metal Alchemist, Cowboy Bebop, Naturo, those are the only ones that I can verify that I've seen in full. So my history with them is still almost akin to just being a rookie. So what about Studio Ghibli movies? Miyazaki, have you got Many of those in your filmography, seen many of those? Have not seen any prior to this. Wow. Well, that is something we're going to have to change because uh, Miyazaki is definitely someone you need to check out as a growing cinephile. You can't go without seeing his movies. Uh, they're just something really, really special. And this film, Oko's In, kind of follows in the style of a Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli film. I don't think it quite achieves the same magic as the best ones that that studio had, but it's very similar and it has kind of a similar charm to it, I would say. So I guess my question is, what did you think about this then, especially coming from someone who hasn't watched a lot of movies that are like this? Well, for me, if I could sum this film up into um, a sentence, I would say that this is a ghost story with humanity. 
I like the aspect of the ghost being friendly, you know, and them not being scary or terrifying. They were just there to um, calm this little girl, you know, who has been through a lot of um, tragedy in her early life and who's feeling alone and having to adjust to a new situation and having to deal with all this responsibility. These ghosts were there to give her some guidance and also to make her laugh, have fun with her, and just be there in her times of need when things get hard. I love the aspect of that. I also love the animation. The animation is very, very beautiful. The colors shine bright. Like, the way a car, like, looks when you comes out of the car wash all shiny and chrome and just no specks or dust or anything on on the material that's how this film looked to me animation wise it's very beautiful however the beginning and the end of the film were very strong for me the middle kind of seemed like it was moving very slow pace wise and Mm -hmm. there were some scenes that kind of overstayed their welcome and it was kind of hard to really follow what they were trying to go for because it felt like they diverted away from the story and went into all these little side subplots which in the end kind of didn't really have a bearing on the overall message towards the end i kind of did get some clarity they showed this girl she's the the whole model of the end that her grandparents her aunt and her uncle and her grandma teacher is that we have to treat these these guests with humility we had to treat them like they are on a on a pedestal and it came across as just a a message of just being a good person trying to help out the next person in their time of need because you never know what anyone else could be going through it's all about being a a bright light for them no matter how bad their day is because it's like when people say hey say hi to somebody today because you never know what they could be going through that's what this film came across as for me. It's not just a film about a girl who's growing into her own and dealing with all this responsibility and becoming a person with all this great power and responsibility and learning the um, the ancient Japanese cultures and traditions that have been passed down to her. It's also at the end of it, I felt that it was a very, very lovely human story that deals with gracious humility, being kind, and also the spirits being a force to help you and being by your side and guiding you. They may not always be there, but when they're there, they show you the right way to do things. Overall for me, it's a, it's, it's a good film. Not something that I would like say is great, great, but it's good. Yeah. So it's interesting to compare it. Like what you were just saying about the spirits being good and friendly and essentially they're Casper, the friendly ghost. They're helpful. It's very different than something like the curse of La Llorona where, of course, the spirit is vengeful and evil and trying to take something of yours away from you. She meets so many interesting characters, and I really enjoyed the different spirits. There's this goofy buck-toothed ghost boy named Ribo, um, and ultimately he had a role in the crash that ended up killing her parents um, that will play out in an interesting way as to her relationship with him. But he helps to show her that there is an optimism to being alive and to continuing on and the the way that she's able to interact with people in a way that he can no longer do and kind of wishes he could. Um, There's this young demon that is really strange and out of place. It feels like Uh, that is so anime. And that is, that is like what you get in this type of genre is you'll get kind of like these normal aspects of a story. Like you said, the beginning and the end of this film And then you'll throw in this young demon ghost and you'll throw in a fortune teller character who ultimately ends up becoming kind of like a motherly slash big sister type figure. 
in the main character Oko's life um, pr- provides a presence that she doesn't have since her family died. But you have they have it, it goes in and it shows the way this fortune teller has this kind of connection to the spiritual world. And it gives you a little bit of fantasy in there that goes beyond just the typical ghost story. It's also strange in the middle because for the most of this film, it's very sweet. It's idyllic with beautiful shots of the countryside where this inn resides. And it's very, like I said, Studio Ghibli-like. And then in the middle, we have some sequences where specifically a shopping trip that occurs with the fortune teller character. And all of a sudden, it goes to like a modern day anime. It gets very bouncy. And this J-pop soundtrack is blasting in the background. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Because I feel like I'm in a Studio Ghibli movie. And all of a sudden, I'm getting something completely, completely different. It, It felt very at odds tonally in that moment. Uh, it just wasn't a consistent thing. I don't know that it's, it's bad. It was just noticeable for me. Um, overall, I agree with you. I think it's a super sweet anime. I love the fact that Oko is able to befriend these ghost kids who help her grow and help her um, learn these kind of lessons about family and acceptance. Uh, it definitely has an element of the Shinto tradition in it. Um, it helps to focus on it gives a a situation where it highlights these modern sensibilities for her navigating issues of loss and death and it does so in a pretty enjoyable package i think it's a good movie it's not great for me um i don't know whether it's because it was late at night and maybe i had was just feeling very emotional but just seeing just that the ghosts are of um children who have lost their lives it was very 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 sad i mean the animation yes they're very quirky they're goofy and they they really are the highlight of the film for me because they bring a lot of funny moments and a lot of shining light it's just sad just to see that they you know as children they were ghosts and just them not being able to experience it in the true in the real in the reality form it's it was very sad for me yeah, that's understandable, man, for sure. I, I totally know what you mean. Uh, I felt similar at, at times as well when you kind of step back for a second, especially when they're explaining like their backgrounds and you're like, oh, that's why you're a ghost. Like you're no longer just bouncy and happy and funny. Like you're here for a reason. And, you know, her parents are gone for a reason, but it does all come together in the end, I think, and, and gives you a, a happy takeaway from it. Now, This film is a Fathom special event. It will be in theaters only April 22nd and April 23rd. So be sure to look for tickets right away and go ahead and book your trip out. I believe like most Fathom events that come from G-Kids Studio, the animes, they usually run in both uh, the Japanese language original and then also English. We watched it, I think, both as the dub. I know I did. Uh, but the original should be playing in the Fathom events as well. So April 22nd and April 23rd, if you would like to check out Oko's Inn. Last main review here is for the newest Twilight Zone episode. Now, if you listened to us a week or two ago, we discussed the first two Twilight Zone episodes uh, with Kales as well, and we were all three very high on the start to this new series reboot from Jordan Peele. 
But when Kalesa and I both watched this third episode called Replay, I think it's safe to say we were shook. So when we both watched this third episode, we both decided that we needed to bring it up and talk about it on the show so that we could bring attention to it because we think that it is absolutely worth checking out. And it really put a highlight, I think, for us on the possibilities that the Twilight Zone as a show could bring. And so if you have done the free trial and just to watch those first two episodes, you let it expire and you didn't get a chance to see this third one, maybe it's worth continuing on. Now, the plot is pretty simplistic, really, at heart. Uh, A woman believes she's experiencing the same moments over and over again. That's kind of the hook. The woman we're talking about is a mother uh, of a young African-American boy named Dorian. I guess I should say young African-American man. He's definitely not a boy. He's on his way to college. Uh, And what happens is the mom learns that this camcorder she has, which is an old family heirloom given to her a long time ago by her father, has the power to rewind time and let them live a moment over again. And that presents some interesting situations within the context of this story. So, Kales, why was this so important for you to talk about? Like, What was so moving for you when you saw Replay? What was moving for me about this episode is that you can see things and issues that have been in the news and that's a constant problem in this country for the last four or five years. It was all compressed right into this episode. You know, like you said before, the story is very simple and you can kind of predict when some events are going to happen. But I think at the end, the overall message of the episode is very, very, very powerful. And this is what the Twilight Zone does best. The Most of the greatest Twilight Zones, they end up taking a situation or an aspect of society that, you know, may be an issue or maybe something that's been in society but doesn't get talked about a lot or it does get talked about a lot, but they find a way to incorporate it with the area of fantasy and the supernatural. And this episode, down to a T, was almost perfect for me. This is the best Twilight Zone episode I have seen so far out of all the three. It's the most memorable to me. Sanaa Lathan, she's great. She's always been one of my favorite actresses that doesn't get a lot of respect. She's good in this. The guy who plays the young college kid, he had a strong presence. And everything just came together. The writing was tip-top. Even though the story was simple, the writing was tip-top, especially with how it brought together all of the issues that we see in our current society. And at the end, the message is simple as that. I'm pretty sure this is a spoiler, but most evils in the world can't be erased by any magic. It's something that we have to take head on and figure out what to do with ourselves. We have to sometimes look at ourselves and see what's wrong with us. Or we have to figure out the certain structure in society that could be wrong. We have to go and take that apart and build that up to something that's very fair for everyone. So for me, this episode was it was phenomenal. It, st- it stood on my mind a lot. Me and my girlfriend just had our mouths drop open at the end of it. It's it's the best of what the Twilight Zone can offer. And it just makes me even more excited for the rest of the episodes that are to come. And if you don't have a subscription, I'm telling you, get one right now. If it just for this episode, just go get one. Yeah, I, I would agree. And what what we're talking about, listeners, the, the main plot here, what is taking place? The, the mother and the son are at a diner and they are on their way to dropping the son off at a college. And it is a traditional all black school. Um, I bring that up because it's a plot point that plays into kind of 
showing the mindset of a police officer that begins to engage with them. And what happens over the course of the episode is that they start to run into interactions with this certain white police officer. And no matter what they do, no matter how many times they rewind time and try a different approach, they can never seem to get free of having this interaction. It is like an inevitable fate that they are going to have to deal with this white, possibly racist police officer. It shows for me the real fear that so many of my African-American friends have told me that they live with. You know, I have gotten pulled over plenty of times in my life. And never once, when I was reaching for my license to show the police officer my license, did I even have a inkling of concern. Not even a shadow. But I know so many of my friends who have been pulled over and a police officer has walked up to them with his hand on his gun, resting on the hilt as he's asking for their ID, standing in a very defensive posture, almost aggressive. And this film highlighted that for me. It reminded me of the dramatized scene in The Hate You Give toward the beginning of the film, where you see an African-American group of, of teenagers in this film who are trying to, they're not being disrespectful, but maybe they ask a question for clarification. The cop at one point says, you know, stop filming me. He says, I, we don't have to stop filming you. Why would I have to stop filming you? And what it shows to me is over and over and over, no matter how many times they interact, no matter how many times they try a different approach with this police officer, sometimes it's defensive in nature. Sometimes it's aggressive going back at the cop saying, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to tell me what to do kind of attitude. Sometimes the mom ultimately tries to appeal to the cop's humanity, tries to have a conversation and empathize with the police officer and kind of show that she's a person too. And maybe this wouldn't eventually happen, but it always seems to go the way that they don't want it to go. Yes. Um, after this episode, I happened to, um, to add on to your point, I happened to see um, some comments on the episode. And I don't want for people to take away from this episode that all cops are evil and are looking to unjustly, you know, hurt someone or kill someone. That's not the point of the episode. The point of the episode is that in America, there is a fear among a certain group of people that whenever they do get pulled over by a police officer, that something bad may occur, no matter how respectful or no matter how calm or, you know, nice going they may seem, something is going to happen that triggers into a more volatile situation. And the reason the fear is ingrained in, you know, in African-Americans, because we've seen this happen many, many times over the last over the past century in America. So this is just a common fear that all that all of us have had to deal with at one point. I've had, like Aaron has said, I've seen friends, I've had family members who who have gone through this and they live in constant fear about it. And it's sad and it's a sad state, you know, that people, you know, when they going out to drive, going out to drive could be or drive to the store can turn into something to where you don't see your family again or where you just end up in jail because you're resisting an officer when you were just trying to ask questions. That that's the powerful aspect of this episode is that it shows that fear that African Americans go through, and it could not just be African Americans; it could be other people who may have a fear of of people in the position of authority. 
So it's right. not just African Americans. This could be other types of people as well. Yeah, definitely. It, the the whole episode is ingrained in a rising tension. It, it's got a very steady pace. Um, from the opening interaction that I was kind of referencing with the police officer, it just they have more and more interactions that get closer and closer and closer to something majorly life changing happening. And so that fear is growing. And I think for us, like Kalesa and I both talking about having either known someone or experienced it himself, even you kind of know that that is where the story could be going. And so you are really concerned for these characters. You're able to empathize with them. Um, it, it really highlights just what it could be like for this African-American family, this mom who is now a lawyer in the story, she just wants the best for her son. There's a whole theme subplot going through this this uh, short episode even of where she doesn't want him to interact with his uncle and her old family because they come from a bad neighborhood where a lot of crime happened and where a lot of her relatives and friends have died. And she wants to keep him away from that. She wants to bring him into the new America where he can just go to college and pretend that none of that past exists. And ultimately, they have to confront it. They have to go back to their roots, and they have to realize, like Kayla said in the very beginning, there is no magic camcorder that can press rewind and fix that situation. Um, and one of the big themes of this that I really appreciated was a focus on showing a collective effort, uh, showing that the community, any community that is facing any sort of oppression has to bond together and that they can't, no one person, no one family can do it by themselves. It takes everybody. Uh, There's a great line in this. It says, we're all witnesses, she says, in a very powerful moment at the end that I won't spoil exactly what happens, but um, it's speaking to the fact that everyone is seeing this action for what it is and they're calling it out collectively and saying, we're not going to take it anymore. And we're not going to just pretend that it's not going to happen. And we're not going to try to go around it anymore and avoid the situation and pretend that it's going to go away. The only way to face it is head on um, to get that. And it, it also ends with a real somber kind of gut punch of a moment. Some of the best Twilight episode, Zone episodes will do that get your brain thinking even further and send you into a spin. So... Uh, I think we both really, really enjoyed this one. You said it was your favorite. It's definitely my favorite as well of the three. And I'm super excited to find out where this series is going to continue to go. Uh, because this is a great blend of a sci-fi trope with the rewinding of time and a modern day social commentary. Just, just really, really good stuff. It's available now on CBS All Access. If you have a subscription, check it out. If you don't have a subscription, get one. It's like $5.99 for a month, folks. It's definitely worth that for these episodes of Twilight Zone. The last thing we're going to do here is a little bit of... Trailer Talk. So this little movie came out with a teaser trailer last Friday, Kales, and that is the newest Star Wars film. I say little movie is a joke, because this is actually the final film in the nine-movie-long saga of the Skywalker story. The film's title was revealed. It's going to be called The Rise of Skywalker. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty intriguing. It's pretty mysterious in some ways. Um, I'm going to just ask you, what did you think when you watched the trailer? Like, What was your initial reaction to this trailer? My initial reaction was um, 
I need to get started on my um, binge watch for all of the Star Wars films, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I have seen... Rewatch, a- right? You're saying your rewatch of all the Star Wars films? Oh, no. First time watch. You're... you're- your your first time how old are you how old are you 27 hmm shame shame i wish i had the bell of shame to to ding right now shame so we have learned in this episode i'm gonna digress for a second we've learned that kales has not seen a single studio ghibli miyazaki movie and kales has not seen a star wars movie folks we need to fix this listeners kales davis What's your Twitter handle? Black Nerd Magic. All right. I'm glad you were man enough to tell them because I was going to tell them if you didn't. You need to hit him up and you need to help encourage him to get on this. But yes, you are right. I will let you continue now. Yes, you need to see a Star Wars movie. Continue with your reaction, though. Now, to be honest, I have seen a Star Wars film, which was Rogue One. <laughs> Back three years ago, I went with... um. One of my family's um, friends that stayed in um, Oklahoma, he came up to visit, and he took me to go see Rogue One because I told him the same thing, and he had the most horrific face on – he had the most horrific expression on his face. He's like, man, you are coming with me tonight to see this film. He gave me a little bit of a Cliff's Notes kind of version of everything that happened, so I was well aware of some notable events, so I was able to follow along pretty well. Rogue One was was good for the most part. I like Rogue One. Even though um, I had a um, six-year-old kid behind me that kept screaming and awing at every explosion at every moment of the film, kind of ruined the experience. Rogue One was great, and it kind of made me excited to get on to the other Star Wars films. I had just not had the time to get started because there are so many other great films out here. That's what the paradox of choice does to you people. You want to get started with a series, but then you see another film you need to go see. You see another film. Like It's very hard to find that time, but trust me, before December... 2019, I'm going to watch every Star Wars film. You can hold me to that. This is a confirmation. This is a vow on record. (laughs) Well, I am going to hold you to that. There is absolutely no question. I'm excited for you, honestly, to get to go through these. I think you're going to have a heck of an awesome time experiencing what those of us who have kind of lived in this fandom have for so many years and it's never too late to experience it so it's kind of in a good way it's a way for us to say if you're out there and listening to this and you're like Kales and he just vocalized something that you've been keeping as a deep dark secret for yourself be like Kales make that vow watch your Star Wars films this year guys because this trailer is awesome and the hype is real for those of us that have been in this universe and followed this story now for nearly 40 years. This goes back to right when I was born, the first film coming out a couple years before me, and now here we are, I'm about to turn 40, and we're going to get the end of a saga. This is unparalleled in the history of like true connected storytelling. It is so well done. There's different generations that have had their own trilogies now. It's all being put together and brought to an end. There is a moment in this trailer, right off the bat, the opening scene, Ray is backflipping over a TIE fighter in slow motion. I think this is going to go down as one of the all-time great cinematic movie moments of the year for me. I have not been able to stop watching the scene on repeat, people. I, I have, like, the GIF now on my computer, and I just sit there and stare at it. Like, I'm locked in, just entranced, because it is so amazing. I think what's awesome about that scene is it gives us a taste of Ray and her 
finally exploding Jedi powers that she is now in control of. What's awesome is that this series and this this movie series, the shows that it are connected to it, they rarely show us the true extent of a Jedi's abilities and their mastery of the Force. We never know just how strong they can be. Or we don't. Or we know, but we don't get to see it. And that's what makes a moment like what she's doing in the trailer so incredibly epic. Because you don't see it every single movie. You wait for it, and you wait for it, you wait for it, and then you get like you get it. And you just go nuts for it because it's so awesome. There's so much cool stuff going on in this that we get hinted at. We've got somebody fixing Kylo's helmet. We don't know what's going on there. There's a new cool-looking droid to experience and get to know. Lando is back. I'm excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Billy Dee Williams is reprising his role. Um, there's a fallen structure they're looking at at the end of the film, off in the horizon. Can't really tell. Is it Death Star remains or... What's going on there? What planet are they on? And then there's this voiceover from Luke that's been going on throughout the film. And of course, anyone who's watched the last film knows, I don't want to say it now because hasn't seen it. I'm going to not say it. But Luke is narrating and he says, no one's ever really gone. And then we get this laugh. And it's coming from Emperor Palpatine, who for series fans, you know that we... We're not expecting that in the slightest. And it's just this ah moment of absolute shock and uncontrollable confusion and excitement. And I think we all want to know what it means. We all want to know how the story of Ray's parentage is going to play out and how her tale is going to end. Um, there's going to be some more diversity in this film we learned. I'm really excited about that. This is the first Star Wars trilogy that really is putting black and Asian actors kind of up front and in roles that are not just getting five minutes of screen time, which is really, really cool. Um, and, and it's a nice progressive movement. I mean, that's that's the way we should be moving in our current day modern society. It should be reflective of our society in our films, and especially in something like Star Wars, which is for everybody. It's for people of all color, all gender, all everything. It doesn't matter. It's a fantasy world, right? So it should reflect us, and I'm excited about that. Uh, overall, man, I am just so hyped for this trailer. I personally have embarked on a major rewatch. I am going through all of the Star Wars material. Now, I found a group on Facebook that is doing this. It's called the Outer Rim Star Wars Group, so if you want to look it up, go for it. Um, they started this back in March, where they were going to watch everything in chronological order. And they started with episode one, The Phantom Menace, then they went to episode two, Attack of the Clones, and then they started to go through each of the Clone Wars cartoon series. There's six seasons of that. I am knee-deep in the Clone Wars right now and absolutely in love. That show is amazing. It adds so much to the universe. We're going to keep going. We've got a couple more animated series to go through, a whole bunch of movies, and then some solo movies, and it's all going to lead up to The Rise of Skywalker. And why I'm doing this, because it costs me a lot of time. I'll be frank. It's going to take away from me watching as many new films as I normally do in the year. But what has me excited is that I'm immersing myself in something that will only pay off one time. Sort of like Avengers Endgame. I can only rewatch all the Marvel movies and go into Endgame that first time once. It will always and forever be different after that. And there may never be a culmination 
of 10 years of buildup of 22 films in the Marvel way that they have done the MCU. That may never happen again. Similar to Star Wars, 40 years spanning three unique trilogies may never happen again. I want to be as in that moment as I can with this because I want I want that best experience possible. You know what I mean? And so that's why I highly recommend it for anyone out there. Do like Coles, even if you haven't seen the films, rewatch them all. Get yourself ready and go into this one as excited as you possibly can be uh, because you got one shot. And I think for my money, Rise of the, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, and it's very important to word it correctly because it does have some meaning uh, by saying the Rise of Skywalker and not Rise of the Skywalker might not be referring to a person. We don't know. Um, yeah, do it, man. Watch them all. Get hyped. Star Wars! Well, Coles, thank you for everything. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a great talk. Um, I enjoyed all of the reviews tonight. Hopefully listeners did as well. Hopefully you found something you might want to check out. The Curse of La Llorona in theaters this weekend. Oko's Inn in theaters April 22nd and 23rd. Fathom event. Little Woods in theaters this weekend. Replay available now. Episode 3 of the Twilight Zone series on CBS All Access right now. And of course... The Rise of Skywalker, you can go watch that teaser trailer for yourself. Watch Ray backflipping and over and over and over again and get excited like I did. Thanks, Kales. We will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then... Stay positive and keep feeling film.